Galera, I'm getting much response out of you guys. Is uh, Irene, hello. Elizabeth, what kind of problems have you been creating? I've been uh, thinking about... Clinton, you are muted. You're muted, Clinton. Excellent. Hello, everybody. Hello. We're, we're trying to get set up here. Any, any comments? And Elizabeth, did you begin to say something that Nicole, they dropped me out on this sign? I, yeah, yeah. I've done quite a lot of work with, with uh, uh, anger and fear and sadness. And now I'm beginning to wonder about conscious joy. How far have you decontaminated your ego state from your gremlin? Would you say? What percentage? What percentage of? Oh, in in my mix. What percentage is gremlin? Is that what you asked? Yeah. Brianne, are you there? Look, um, the internet thing doesn't seem to be working so great. I'm going to drop out and try the, the other one. So I'll be back. What is everyone what is up everyone? to? What is everyone up to? Uh, Brianne, can you hear me? All right. Uh, okay. Things are still settling down over here. Uh, would somebody say something, please, so we can just check it out? Hannes, maybe. Hannes, yes, can you say something? I, yeah, the internet connection seems very instable. And I'm checking whether it's my internet connection or yours, or I have no idea yet. Okay. Yeah. Seems to be settling down right now. Mm -hmm. uh, Demetra, can you hear me? 
No, Demetra, no. <clears throat> Ingrid, can you say something? Yes, I can hear you. It's better. Sometimes there are the little dropouts, but it's it's better than the link before. Okay. Uh, it seems to be okay now here. Yeah, yeah we logged out better. one computer and now it works. All right. All right. All right. Okay, so hello, everybody. This is week 68 of the study group. We're on page 194 of Radiant Joy, Brilliant Love. I think it's the same page on building love that lasts. We're in a section called clarity. So it's a little, it's a subsection. It's the one right after this thing about making boundaries 6w does anybody can anybody share anything from your experiments during the week yes i uh, wanted to share that i've been doing some badass training <laughs> and and what i noticed was that that by starting to do these things like for example i succeeded in spitting chewing gum out of a car window <laughs> and and what i noticed was that there was like my energetic space was was being much bigger than before i, I actually at the first time i had like this direct experience of what it means that the box expands because it felt like there's somehow I'm shutting, normally I'm shutting down a certain amount of my energy by trying to be nice. Oh. Yeah. And it's okay. ongoing. Like I notice, I'm a lot of things I'm still not trying out, but some I am trying out and it's, it's great. It's my box has been really having a hard time last week and it's yeah. All right, so, so spitting, great. spitting one piece of gum out the window of your car is on a scale, you know, on the scale of one to 10 on badass. <laughs> it's kind well, of on a scale of one to 10, 0. 1. 0. 0. 0.5. Okay, 0. 0.5. All right. Did, yes. did you, were, were you able to drop a piece of litter while other people watched you do it? No, no. Okay, I, I think you have some work to do because being able to ask questions for which there are no answers. Yes, definitely. You know, being, being able to uh, make a distinction energetically in a space that has never been made before in that space and that uh, people will be have difficulty achieving. The, these are the these are kind of badass things. These are higher in the scale of badass. So we're we're trying to uh, build up to that. Okay. So Ava, you just have you just have to keep working on it. All right. I I want to to do that too. And uh, I feel oh, Ingrid. Ingrid, okay. yes, I All want right. to do that too. And uh, 
Uh, I feel uh, encouraged by your experiments, Eva, Eva and, and uh, uh, I, I commit to that too for this week. Yeah, but Ingrid, I, I don't think you're even bad enough, badass enough to chew chewing gum. I mean, I don't shoot chewing gum. That's what I mean. How are you gonna? How are you gonna spit it out your car window if you don't even chew it? I spit out an, um, a a piece of apple or something like that. That's just completely vile. You know, when you spit out gum, it sticks to car tires, and the owners of the cars they get so upset when there's a, some gum on their car tires. You know, so you have to work your way up. All right. Okay, Ingrid, I do. Ingrid, you'll be joining our 12-week Rage Club, which is also a badass training for anybody out there looking for badass experiments. Come to my 12-week Rage Club, a three-month journey and badass training. Conscious asshole training will be integrated. Yeah. Okay, I'm in. <laughs> Anybody else in the 12 week journey? Anybody else want to do that? <laughs> Irena. Cool. Yeah, I want to yeah. do it too. <laughs> Matthew, what about you? I'm three quarters of the way there. Okay. Do you have a question or something about it? No, it's just internal stuff. You mean just fear? Yep. Fear about what? Um, fear is mostly about uh, making it making it through it in a way that is transformational. Like I feel like I'm in this place right now where I need to be drugged through, through things, like dragged through things. So. That's the fear. Well, we've been talking about this, <clears throat> trying to pay attention to when you manipulate yourself. Remember that we were talking about that, I think last week. And uh, are, Matthew, are you manipulating yourself to do things? Um, I could be, I, I don't know. Exactly. Um, I'm in a place of not, yeah, and a lot of times not not knowing exactly what to do. Uh, yeah. Do you have box 13? Box, uh, which one is that? 13 is confusion. Uh, sounds like it. But I think I have a lot of them. Okay, there's some there's some ways around that. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for being three quarters of the way. Great. I'd like to check in with a couple other people. Jeremy, can you say some stuff? Yes. I am really excited because I'm taking a stance to bring possibility management in our game world, our new community game world. And I've just set up with uh, Joanna and Marco to come and offer a first workshop at our, 
at our place, which in this way can become a node, hopefully for the region to get into these practices because so far uh, I tried setting up a team locally and didn't get much interest. And so, um, yeah, I want to bring it to our game world, but also to the region and, and build a team, build a, build a network. And so um, that's what I'm really excited right now. And also afraid, of course. Cool. Do you need any support with that? Do you need any support with it? Definitely. Um, not right now, but yes, along the way. We're, we're going to start in October, a month from now. This and you have, a, you have a team there together, right? You have, a, you have a good team? Not really. I have Marco and Joanna, and I have my game, my game work group, where I'm the only one who has distinctions like this. So I'm really bringing it in. So Jeff was asking for clarity. It's, it's Portugal, right? It's Portugal. It's Alentejo and the southern Portugal. Yes. Okay. All right. So that's exactly where Dimitra is. Dimitra? You, know, you know Dimitra? I don't. This power, this flaming sun of a of a of a transformational cool. healing agent. She's she's really you should you need to talk to her and tell her what you're doing. She's got tons of connections and tons of energy, and she hasn't been in the study group for a while. So she's got something cooking. I don't know what it is. Demetra, what's cooking? Hello, Clinton. Hi. Hi. Hi, everybody. It's the first time I'm here. And um, Abed gave me a possibility two days ago to jump in here and ask everybody for, possi yeah, from <laughs> for possibilities yeah, about, excuse me? Yay, Habet. Yeah. Yeah, Habet is very, very cool. <laughs> I know her for a quite a while now. Possibilities about what? Possibilities to come here and uh, ask you to give me uh, uh, possibilities about my and clarity for my next step. And because I'm here in Algarve, very close to Alentenzu, where uh, Jeremy is, and I don't know where to go next. So I want some possibilities from you. And if it's not right now, if somebody could text me. Uh, so it's, I mean, one possibility is as soon as this call is over, make a call with Jeremy and find out what he's doing. Yeah, thank you. And, and help him find their next step. Because mm -hmm. if you can find the next step for them, that will help you find the next step. Thank you, Clinton. Yeah, any, anybody else have some uh, some Portugal next step support for Dimitra? Yeah. It's not only in Portugal. I'm thinking about Germany, too. Uh, Dimitra, have you written any articles yet? How many articles? Uh, written so, or read. So will you write an, a short article? Mm-hmm about your journey so far. And send it to you? Yeah, well, better send it to everybody in the study in group. The group. Okay. Yeah, and also put it online at Medium. Did you ever, did you ever put an article online? Does, no, does somebody, 
Does somebody know how to do that? Who could uh, show Demetra how to do that? Somebody want to do that? So okay. Devin over there in the writing house, if you just connect with Devin, he'll just show you. It's really simple. And he'll, he'll show you how to do it. And then you can put more articles up there. Hmm. Yeah, thank you. Anybody, somebody else have, have more support for Demetra? I do have a couple ideas, but I, I'll, I'll talk to Dimitra after the call that are local ideas. Great. Yeah. Great. Thank you. You're welcome. Something else might come up as we go along here. Stefano and Vitalia, hello. Hi there. Hi. Can you? How's it going over there? Can you check in with us a little bit? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, well, yeah, our names are written there. And then we are here thanks to B uh, from the writing house. Uh, we, we, we met like three or four years ago in India and, uh, and since then got in touch. And then we just got a call yesterday uh, suddenly from B. And uh, other than checking up what's going on in our life, we got invited to this call today. And uh, we're calling you from Portugal, actually, but more Madeira uh, Island. Uh, we, we happen to be on a, on a vacation here, but uh, we are actually based in Lithuania, uh, kind of Northeast Europe. That's it. <laughs> That's the Stefano flatland version. Vitalia, tell us what's really going on. So actually, uh, I have no idea what are we doing right now here and what to expect. Um, so I'm feeling like very open to see what's happening during this call. Who are the people we see? Who are you actually, Clinton, yourself? <laughs> so for me, like, I don't know nothing, but I feel okay. And I'm really interested how it's going to be going all this conversation this evening. All righty then. Thanks for checking in. Thank you. I'd like to hear from Joy and Kian. Hello. Hi. Hi. I'm uh, I'm just listening in. So far, very inspired by this chewing gum story because I really think I need to become a badass. And if that can expand my energy field, maybe I should start chewing gum and spitting it out. <laughs> well, well, better actually, if you can get into a rage club. Have you been in a rage club before? No, I'm not really sure what they are. Yeah, um, Jeff mentioned them a bit to me, but <clears throat> I haven't looked into them in more detail. Yeah, if you want some more spitting gum power, the Rage Club is really a, a place where it can stabilize over, over some time. It's really consistent practice. There's a bunch of exercises. There's really a lot of teamwork and a connection in the Rage Club. And so I would encourage you to do that if, if, if you're interested in, in uh, so-called spitting on badass power. So that was <laughs> <laughs> really, people, it's really fantastic. Excellent. All right, Joy, thank you. Thank Kian, you. Anything, anything from your part of the woods? 
Yes, <clears throat> I'm. I'm in the in the breaking up my tents in where I'm right now, and I'm just so close to moving to the bridge house Devalaya that is um, that is kind of not really there yet. I feel like it is. It, there's a house, but it's nothing. Nothing like there are two people living there, and it's not really filled out. I mean, and I'm scared to go there. I'm scared to go into a place where there's no clarity about the context. And um, it might be my job to, to, to give more context there. I don't know. And I'm, yeah, this is, this is, this is where I'm at right, right now. Like I'm, I'm planning to move in two days and I'm, I'm, I'm scared. I'm just scared. I don't know. Okay, <clears throat> I think that fear is completely appropriate. And I, I think the chance that you have to be on the team and help negotiate how the bridge house goes, you know, how the, how, how does the, uh, how does the collaboration work? How does food grow? How does the, how does the place stay warm in, as it gets colder in the winter, et cetera, et cetera? Like how, how does the communications go? How, who, who handles what? What are the skills that people need? Mostly the inner navigation skills. How do you learn them and practice them together? All of that stuff. So I, there's a way to go in as a victim and there's a way to go in as a co-creator. So I suggest going in as a co-creator. So you don't go in so much with questions, you go in more with proposals. You go in with proposals. And then people will negotiate back. Here's this proposal, here's that proposal. And that's how it works out. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm basically scared to bring in my proposals because I feel like I've so, I've, yeah, I'm scared to be rejected with them there. I'm, I feel like I have so many things I want to create in community. Yeah. So, you know, you're making a proposal right now. You're making the proposal that you're afraid to make proposals. So I don't really accept your proposal right now. I, I think if you don't have fear when you're making a proposal, it is not a real proposal. It is, you know, it's a, some concept or some rule or something like that. But a proposal always has fear. You stop for me, at least. For us too. Yeah, for us too. Same for me. He's gone. And. Just by the way, Dimitra, you, you can come also if you want to to visit us. The bridge house needs people. That's how I feel. Yeah, I am I, thinking about it already, Ken. Thank you. Cool. Yeah. Maybe we could have a, a phone call too. Yes. Thank you. Clinton, you're muted. 
What I was saying was that proposals include fear, fear included in proposals. And if, if the fear is not there, it's not really a proposal, it's a, it's a demand or a, a Are, are you guys in this, on the same network as him? Yeah. But it's also so maybe you, maybe it's. Okay. No, we're doing the recording. That's why we're, we have here. But we're in a, in a, in a way, it's the same internet in the same house. Well, we could. Take our video off. Yeah. Well, or let Clinton come down here and do it here. The mm -hmm. so writing house is in progress to figure it out how it will work. We're on it. Can they even hear us? Mm -hmm. I think Clinton's coming down. Okay. Yeah. Um. Okay. How about this? All right. We were we were in the middle of this conversation about proposals, including fear. Did can somebody repeat back what you've heard so far? You said that if a proposal doesn't have A rule or anything like that. Yeah, demand. Demand. Like that. that was the word. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and that's more like control, whereas an, a proposal is an offer. And so, you know, you're you're smart, you're powerful, you're clear. You can make proposals, and and other people have other needs. Every basically everybody needs something different at the same time. So. One proposal will not meet everyone's needs. And so they can make offers. They can make offers to change your proposal, add things, subtract things. And what I find is it does not take very long before there's a culture of proposal making that really works. And people, people make proposals that are considered, they're smart, they have they take everybody's needs into account and they just work. And it does not take very long for that to emerge. 
And so it's a very different culture than one saying, well, I expect you to know what I need and give it to me, or I expect you to figure out what I need. And I, so it's, it's a very different kind of culture. So that's the opportunity there at the, at the bridge house is to make, is to learn to make proposals with other people on this path of adulthood initiatory processes. I want to say something about the expectations because what the expectations that you mentioned, Clinton, are actually, it's like a dialogue that is happening unconsciously. Like people are not going around saying, oh, I expect you to do this and I expect you to do that. But it is happening without me noticing that, I, that these expectations are being created. And so to create this culture of proposals is like moving into this place of consciousness of consciously creating what I'm what I want yeah in a in a team in a yeah yeah and I mean <clears throat> most of us have most of us have spent our time trying to create what we want alone and so we can already do that. We're already able to be alone, pretty much. You know, we know what we want to eat. We watch TV. We do our work, clean up some messes, whatever we want or don't want to clean up. And we're alone. And then that's a, that's a relatively safe, but at the same time, crazy-making uh, environment because our whole our organism is designed to evolve, it's designed to uh, keep becoming more complex and more elegant, more sophisticated. And we're designed for that. And, and if we just, if you leave us alone in our own little box, our own little apartment, when you leave us alone, we, it stops, the evolution stops. There's these comfort zones and habits and, you know, you go to the same restaurant and order the same thing on the menu each time and you walk in and they go, would you like your regular, sir? And you, and they know, already know what you, what you want each time. And then, so the whole evolutionary process comes to a stop. And so the, this is, it may seem comfortable or safe, but we're not designed for that. We're designed for uh, really exotic evolutionary processes we're you know people like we have so much energy that we don't know what to do with and so a lot of us when we have too much energy either overdose on something to use up the energy or just you know create low drama or problems or blame or attack or we just we just um do whatever we can to use up the energy. It's because, especially with a lockdown situation with the COVID, with the virus, you know, you're supposed to not go out and uh, party or do social things. And so then what do you do with all this energy that you would normally use up having a conflict with your relatives or your friends? You know, and so all this energy is actually really useful for your evolutionary processes. And so if you make proposals for how things could work better and then 
then let's say, Kian, for example, your proposals are rejected and you feel scared or you feel sad or you feel angry or something. That is the feeling, if it's gone in less than three minutes, it's a feeling. If the feeling lasts longer than three minutes, it's not a feeling anymore. It is an emotion. And the emotion is a doorway for an emotional healing process. And the energy that we're given is the energy for evolution. It's the energy for this emotional healing process that we could do right now. So just do it. Just you know, get your support, call up your, like we do here in the, in the study group, you know, we say, could somebody please hold space for me for an emotional healing process? And then, and then just do it. And what will happen is, is things will evolve. And we're, this is the energy, the energy for evolution that we, that we have. Jeff, are you still there? Yeah, you are. Yeah. Uh, What's up with you these days? Well, it's, it's funny you talked about habits because this morning I, I was just drawn to check in with Krishnamurti, who is, was a huge inspiration for me. Uh, and, and the video I watched was about ha like habits, about breaking habits. And I noticed that one of my habits is to be the identified with like the coach the transformational guide healer whatever that may be and i i over the last week i saw very clearly how my my identification or my habit of that was destroying my relationship my relationships really more than just my my romantic relationship and um then you know coming to this boundary like I, I i recognize it and what i'm what i'm feeling is energetically in a sense i'm like putting these identities uh, putting a boundary around them and saying okay this this is a part of me and i'm not i i choose when it comes out and when it doesn't so it's almost like I, I picture like a zoo, like I, I, I'm like a zookeeper and I have all these like th these roles that I have, you know, I feed them, I take care of them. And when it's time, I allow them to come out I'm, and I'm learning this now. I'm just kind of t tuning in and really getting clarity on how much this identification with roles is a habit and also how much it makes me not human and not present and not available for real connection and and i have a uh, amazing news to share that i just locked in a house for a group of six people that we're gonna live together for two and a half months and we're gonna going to create together and uh, jeremy's share inspired me to to ask for other possibilitators locally in Costa Rica that would like to come to the house and hold space for us. Cause I see how in some way it can't be me. I have mm -hmm. to be immersed and not in that role again. So I'm, I'm already tapping into door, reaching out to Dory and Dory. Yeah. And uh, anyone else that would like to come down to our house, 
Jeff, there was a woman who contacted me recently for exactly that. So I'll try to reach back to her and get her in touch with you guys. Thank you. Yeah, cool. Uh, she's from Germany. Great. Cool, where, where is the house? It's in Uvita, so all down by the Osa Peninsula, all the way down in the Pacific coast. Okay, great. Nice place. Cool. Do you have, pro Here, here's the thing that we've been finding out. I just want to say this before we jump into the clarity thing, is that if, like, for example, if your people are coming together, I think we talked about this before, people coming together for community, it's going to, you're going to drive yourselves crazy. So it really is a needs to come together for something else to create, you know, create something else. Do you have that clear, Jeff, in terms of what you guys are coming together for? Thank you. The answer to the question is no. And I'd like to expand a bit by saying that what you said last week, you know, hit me really hard. And I have we're, we're getting on a call uh, this week to for that to to be sure that that we start to create some clarity around what is it that we are bringing to the world together. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't it doesn't have to be everybody exactly on the same channel because mm -hmm. there's this collaborative force. If the creation is happening, you, it really feeds the space. So it does not have to be exactly the you know all six people working on one exact thing, but the but the, the teamwork of it is really helpful. Yeah. Thank Otherwise, you. everybody comes with expectations that somebody else is going to have the expectations fulfilled. And <laughs> it's just a nut. It's a, it's a madhouse. Yeah. So we're, we're, all, we're all kind of in the same wavelength. We're all creators and all already creating. So it's about weaving our creations together to, to find you know, new ways of collaborating and there's already like a men's retreat being planned between a few of us for December. So that's, I'm, I'm just, I'm really like just feeling a lot of joy and energy of, about this. Great. Well, thank you. Thanks for telling us. And Andrea, anything from your department over there? Um, what really came up for me today was, um, a distinction between um, using the anger from a peaceful way versus forcing something. Mm. Like I want to create something and I have it like all lined up. I have to do this, 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 this. Versus from this peaceful mm, knowing that I want to change something, that I want to do something. What, what are you finding? that when it goes from the peaceful anger sort of way that it flows more naturally and it feels really great and i feel like joy and a lot of synchronicities coming versus when i want to get something done or when i want to like meet someone and do this 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 it it doesn't work out and actually at the end i am great that it didn't work out because it didn't feel right to do so by the peaceful way i i think what i what it seems to me and i could be totally wrong but it seems like conscious way like conscious intention 
focus, clarity, like using the energy of anger to do what needs to be done and communicate and handle things and wrap things up and be in this flow. Whereas the unconscious way is this reactive way, you know, more, more rigid. Is that what you're talking about? Um, in a way, yes, but I feel that there's this attachment uh, coming into play as well, that I want something to, uh, for example, I wanted this week to meet someone and I was too attached to that. And initially it fit well into the schedule, but I was forcing it too much. And, and at the end, it didn't work out to meet. Mm -hmm. And um, there's this, yeah, that, that I really want to do it, like really attached to that. So this attachment thing is a Buddhist thing. The Buddhist, the Buddhist sort of talks about being not attached. But at the other side of the thing, <clears throat> there's this force of creation that, that is when you hold two opposing energies in you at the same time. One energy is, I want this. And the other energy is, this is what things are right now. And it, it's different from what I want. What I want is different from what is right now. And when you hold both of those inside of yourself right now, it's a tension. You know, if you, if you only hold the one energy of I want, then you're in a fantasy world. And if you hold the other energy of it isn't like I like it, then what you're just complaining and a victim. But if you put both energies in you at the same time, it makes this arrow. It's this directed tension, it's called directed tension. And that thing will move you through the steps. It will give you energy to handle the things or communicate or make the negotiations that are necessary for the thing that you want to happen. And then the thing is, some people, when they actually kind of get what they want, they stop. And then they, they try to feel comfortable because this force of creation is always uncomfortable. And, is, and, it, and at first it's unfamiliar discomfort. And what, with a little practice, this force of creation, the directed tension can become a familiar discomfort. In fact, it can become your home. You can actually live in this discontinuity, dis dis this, what do you call it? Non, it's this dis disparity. It's this difference between what you want and what is. And, it, and it's, it's not that when you get what you want, everything will be finished. That's not what this is about. This is about maintaining the discomfort. And it's almost like, uh, you know, this wind that blows a sailboat is uncomfortable for the sailboat because you're on the sailboat and it gets blown over. You know, the wind comes, whoosh, the wind, the sail's blown over like this. So nothing is level in the boat. The whole boat is tilted over. That's the only time it moves. We know if, if there's no wind, it's just the sail is straight up and down, but it's more comfortable, but nothing's happening. And so, if for anyway, so because you guys are creators, there's this force that you can get involved in, but you hold two things in you at the same time that 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 they can't really be together at the same time. And it makes this dynamic tension in you, but that's so creative. 
really creative. And so if you have to decide, it's a personal thing, but it isn't about, it isn't so much about um, being attached or not attached because like you said, there are these forces at work that we don't get to control, right? And so those forces, you, you have to, that's the wind actually, but you can, you can hold this tension in you and let the forces work their way. And then you're not trying to control something. Like you said, it wasn't like what you said was as soon as you stopped trying to control it, you know, and you, you became less attached is what you said, then it became, it worked out how it worked out. But then we're trying to make this into this, your, what you're going to create, like, what are you creating? You know, our path, each one of us has this path that we're on and the path is fraught, you know, it's full of problems. Like there's, there's conflicts and there's breakdowns and there's confusions and there's lack of energy or too much energy or imbalances. And then there's, what, what are the resources, all kinds of resources? Do I have enough resources? I mean, will I make it through the evolution? And then when you make it on the, a step on your path of evolution, who are you then? Like you're not the same person that you were before this, this step happened. And then, and then you have to try to get to know yourself again or try to be in relationship with people who think that they know you, but they don't because the, the you that they know isn't there anymore. And you, you either put on a fake show and pretend like you're this old person like you were before, but that's fake, or you don't know who you are. And that sounds crazy. And so here you have this choice of being fake or crazy. And, and I'm proposing go on the crazy way, you know, go into the place where you actually don't know who you are and be with the people who don't know who they are and then have lunch together <laughs> and see, see how that works out. You know, because having lunch together with people who don't know who they are, can, is, it's probably not going to be a quiet lunch. It'll probably be a very amazingly creative, you know, wild lunch. And you will hear things that you did not ever hear before from people who you thought you knew before. And these are the kind of lunches that you can have in an ongoing basis. You can invite people over to your house for lunch who don't know who they are. And that's the, you just call somebody up and say, do you know who you are? And they go, no, okay, you can come to lunch like that. And then you have this lunch of people who don't know who they are. And then like, this could be an ongoing way of, of being on the path together. And I think that, I think that we long for that, you know, because otherwise, we have to watch TV series, you know, because those people in the TV series, they go through these huge adventures, but they're actors, you know, somebody wrote the script and you could play the same TV show over again. And they always do the same thing in the TV show. Did you ever notice that? I mean, sometimes I forget what they do in the TV show. The first time I saw it and the second time it's a surprise. And I thought they did something different before, but actually they're actually doing the same thing over and over again. So you don't have to, you can actually live with living people where there is no, um, there's no necessity for them to fit into a behavior, like a, a way of being that you already know. You can allow, if, if you don't know who you are, you can't expect them to know who they are. And then you can just actually create stuff together. So Danny, 
What do you think about that? Uh, what do I think? Um, I think I'm really tired. Do you, do you, are you one of those people who knows who you are? No. It really takes a lot of energy to. Yeah, it takes up. a lot of energy. And I think that when I discover like some part that I feel very grounded about and I say, oh, that's really me. I feel like once I'm aware of that, it kind of changes. <laughs> and it stops being part of me anymore. So it's constantly like a flowing you know, expanding and contraction, contracting kind of like energy ball. And you can't really get attached to any part of, of what you think is you as well. Um, that's my experience. Thank you. Thank you. Habet, can you talk for that, about that a little bit? Yeah, I was listening and I feel scared because I'm... I'm packing my stuff uh, to go to Berlin on Wednesday and I feel scared because I, I don't know who I am and I don't know how it's going to be to be back in Berlin and and the refugee protest that has been there seven years ago, it started again. Like, uh, yeah, there's a woman who climbed the tree seven years ago and she did that again. Oh, wow. Uh, two days ago. Yeah, I assume it was also somehow connected to the situation in Afghanistan. However, my phone was ringing all the time. People were calling me up who think that I am that person from seven years ago. And that is very scary to me. And um, also that I, I, my daughter is there. Like uh, when, yeah, when I was, when I was occupying places and houses, she was 11 years old and now she's 20. And I, I sent her a picture And then she wrote me back, are you awake? I mean, I was, I was shocked because it was seven o'clock in the morning. Usually she's not awake at that time. <laughs> And then, um, yeah, she was there in the tree with those people. And yeah, all of this made me feel very scared. And yeah, I'm, yeah I, I, I find it very useful, everything what you said to Andrea, because um, I, I also had this concept of being attached, like of this ideas or concepts, how things should be. And now that you say um, that it, this tension, it's part of it, like this, how, how I want it to be and how it really is. I have this, um, I have this image of my nephew, my nephew is six years old and he saw Sumeya, uh, crawling or trying to crawl and then he was super excited about it and said oh it looks like she wants to stand up and so he put her tool in right in front of her so that she couldn't catch it so she had to put some effort and that 
was their game. So yeah, and they both enjoyed it. So I'm, yeah, I'm contemplating about this to be okay with the excitement and the fear. And yeah, maybe there will be also frustration about different kind of situations. And I, yeah, I, I don't know what I'm doing actually. Yeah. It sounds like you're being a great mom for, for one thing. So thank you. <clears throat> I mean, where we're proceeding here with this is if you have the internal clarity about uh, this is anger, this is sadness, this is fear, this is joy, and this is a feeling or this is an emotion, this internal clarity is enough to do huge things, really huge things, emotional healing processes and evolutionary processes and that those, if you just notice those things, we're well on our way to, to, and so I just want to start reading in this section because it's called clarity and it starts off really clear. So I will slow down how it goes. It says, clarity is produced by making distinctions. Page 194, clarity is produced by making distinctions. Each distinction that you make changes who you are. Every distinction that, that lands in you, that gets in you, it changes who you are. So this is very powerful stuff. And so clarity, distinction-making causes changes in your whole, your system. So it's, it says in the book, it says your own box, but it also changes your being because the, the distinctions do not land in your mind. They do, they, if they land, if distinctions only landed in your mind, you would forget them. And, but they don't, they land in, they actually change, you can feel it. I get this. It's not just your mind. You become a different person because you get the thing. And then it won't go away because you're a different person. You're, in that moment, you become the person who now has the new distinction in your body because you can feel it land. So <clears throat> creating solutions and possibilities by making changes in your own box, it has a distinctly different effect than trying to make changes in the boxes of others. <clears throat> so oftentimes it's the obvious thing is, well, here's a problem, let's fix you. Fix the other person, change the other, you don't get it, you don't see this. But if instead you go around and say, okay, how did I create this? What's my part of this conflict? What's my part of this breakdown here that we're having? What's my part of it? Then what, what happens is you start looking for distinctions in yourself. You start finding refinements inside of yourself. This has a big effect. It gives you more power in the situation. Distinctions let you perceive the setup of things so that you can work with those things or move them around on purpose. So without clarity, you cannot help but clumsily smash around. So a, lo a lot of the book so far has been about creating distinctions or clarity that we did not know that we did not know about. So hopefully this is starting to be a pattern in the way that you work with things is go, 
if assume, you can almost assume that there's a new distinction for you to make each day, couple times a day even. Okay, what, what, what am I not distinguishing here? What am I not noticing here? What am I not seeing here? When, I, when a distinction rearranges you to create cl new clarity in you, it is like having been severely nearsighted and suddenly putting on corrective eyeglasses. What a difference it makes. Just a moment before, the area spread out in front of you was a smear of colored fuzziness. Now, with the glasses on, you can distinguish tables, chairs, sleeping dogs, kids' roller skates, and all sorts of obstacles to be avoided. If a person who could naturally see watched their friend deliberately trip on the sleeping dog and get bitten day after day, they might not comprehend their friend's crazy behavior. But as soon as the seeing person understood that it is possible for a person to be short-sighted, you not be able to see, they might stop scolding their friend and instead help them get to the eye doctor, which is just to get more distinctions. So the same is true in relationship. The first step in correcting bothersome communications and relationship experiences is to imagine that you may be encountering obstacles that you cannot see. There was a, we, we recently had a, uh, there was a couple I know who sort of like crashed into a, a miscommunication and just fell apart. There was this whole gap in their connection. And it was so big, <clears throat> it was shocking how big it was. And so my assumption was, I asked if I could be there and have asked these two people to, to have a conversation with each other because they weren't talking with each other. And then they said, yes. So we sat down and we just heard from one and heard from the other. And we found that there was this just a miscommunication going on. So this is what this thing is saying is like, I, you know, I'm, I'm assuming that they're just tripping on obstacles that they cannot see. So one person was, they were basically both were, were reacting to trigger mechanisms inside of themselves. It had nothing to do with what was happening between them. It's like that. And so if they, if we did not have that conversation, they might think that they don't like each other anymore or that there's some kind of problem. When in fact, it's just that both of them were not seeing clearly what was happening inside of them. It was just a trigger, a button got pushed here, a button got pushed here. And then there was this big kind of separation. And that, that was the result of not seeing, being able to see like the roller skates that were there. But when you put the glasses on, see the roller skates and go, ah, oh, yeah, it's just a button I have inside of me. Okay, I, hey, I do not, I'm not letting you push my buttons because my buttons are dead. My buttons are a mechanical reaction. I'm not going to live my life and my relationship with you in a mechanical reaction. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. And then, and then they has new clarity. Okay, this is a button. I just need to watch out for it. And it's, this is what we're talking about. So ordinary human 
relationship. Wait a second. I wanted to read the first. Yeah. The first step in correcting bothersome communication and relationship experiences is to imagine that you may be encountering obstacles that you cannot see. So and then so then to make the distinction, look for the obstacles, look for what you can't see. And that's why it's helpful to have another person sitting next to you going through the emotional healing process, whatever, because they can see stuff that you can't see. So ordinary human relationship is the automatic result of bumbling around with immature or uneducated perceptions about what is going on in your relationship. Extraordinary human relationship is the automatic result of relating to human beings through clarity about feelings, listening, kinds of listening, kinds of speaking, communication procedures, your center, your ego states that you're in, what's contaminated, the problem ownership, low dramas, making boundaries, and so on. This is a whole new way of interacting with the world. Using clarity produces different results from using boundaries. So that's what we were talking about before is making boundaries. Now we're talking about the technology of making using clarity. For example, if you go to a dance party and you want to protect yourself, you can sit in a corner behind a boundary of chairs or refuse to dance so no one can cut in and flirt with your partner, something like that. Or you can make distinctions instead of boundaries to gain clarity about what is going on at the party. Then with clarity, you can go ahead and dance, move your own feet out of the way, flirt with beautiful and ugly strangers, explore different dimensions of conversation, and in general, take care of yourself while still interacting. Clarity does not guarantee that no one will step on your toes, but neither does sitting in the corner behind a wall of chairs. And I think a lot of us have this habit of sitting in a wall behind a lot of chairs in other dimensions of our life. Basically, we hold back, we pull back, we stay silent, don't speak out. We try to understand rather than trying to create you get the difference? We try to understand what other people say and then find our position about that rather than speaking out and creating new possibilities together. So this is hiding out and trying to not get our toes stepped on, but just, if you know, neither way really helps you from getting your toes stepped on. Why not be in the dance, get your toes stepped on and, it, and at least you get to dance like that. A boundary at its most basic level specifies limitations and blocks energy flow. That's what a boundary does. A distinction, on the other hand, specifies limitations, yet still allows energy to flow. A boundary is like a wall between the neighbors. A distinction is more like a picket fence between the neighbors that defines the property line, but still permits you to chat with each other on Saturday morning. You get the difference between a boundary and a distinction. This boundary is just this wall. The distinction lets energy flow, but has this clarity going with it. 
to evolve your boundary-defined relationships into distinction-defined relationships, start by examining the boundaries that you're holding, the walls, the barriers, probably based on fear. A lot of them are based on fear. Never again, not this, stop, all that, fear. Sense into your connection with the other people and determine who are you holding boundaries with. So of all the people that are around there, who are you holding boundaries with? Why do you feel the need to maintain the boundaries? Who are you thinking the other person is? Is it a present person or a past person? Are you assuming that they are their box or that they are an unknowable mystery? Why are you granting sentience to the mechanical actions of their box? Like sentience means that they know what they're doing. A lot of people, you know, in my world, I basically walk down the street and I assume everybody's a zombie, you know, and then I can take care of myself. And every now and then somebody proves me wrong. They actually give me an answer to a question that I didn't expect, or they make a joke, or they say hello before I do, or something really surprising happens. But if I just have clarity that basically people are operating under mechanical operations, I don't have to, I don't have to get run over. It's like, it's almost like a, a street, a street intersection where the cars and their stoplights or stop signs and these cars come up, they're all following a protocol. And so what I'm saying is, if I don't know the protocol and I try to cross the street, I just get run over. And I'm talking about zombie protocol, it's just zombie protocol. What do people ordinarily do? People ordinarily do what their parents ordinarily did or what society ordinarily tells them to do. There's this kind of zombie protocol. And if you know what zombie protocol is, you can negotiate it. You can interact with it. Whereas if you think that people are really responsible for what they're doing ordinarily, then you have this expectation that they will be responsible, that they're going to keep their promises, that they will watch out for things. They will take care of things. So, so that's what this is talking about. How could you evolve your boundaries into distinctions that give you and your relationships more possibility? So, and it comes through clarity. How do you do that? Through clarity. How could you stay in relationship with a person and not get hit by the mechanical manifestations of their box? So it's, again, it's just their people, we have automatic survival strategies. You can scan a group and you, and you can see what the automatic survival strategies are, that doesn't mean you have to stand in front of them and get run over thinking that they're going to do something else because they won't. But you can make a distinction and go, okay, this is a mechanical behavior. And then you stand to the side, the mechanical behavior goes by and you don't get run over by it. You have clarity and you can be in relationship with it. It works like that. You can sense into any boundaries that other people are holding with you. Who holds boundaries with you? Why are other people feeling like they must keep a boundary up with you? That's a, that's a good thing to write in your beat book. You know, it's okay, who's got boundaries up with you? And what, why do they think they need to have these boundaries with you? Those are, that's huge feedback. It's a wonderful source of feedback for you. It's like, okay, there are people in my life who think they have to have a boundary with me because... And, in, and if you don't even know why, 
you can interview them. You can call them up or meet with them and say, look, it feels to me like I think you have to have a boundary with me about this thing, about time, money, energy, space, possessions, you know, agreements, like all that. What boundary? Why do you have to keep this boundary with me? And then you listen. You don't argue with them. You listen because they will tell you. They know why. They Because two years ago, I loaned you my book and it came back and the pages were bent or you didn't ever give me my book back or, or you know, like something like that. And you go, ah, yeah. And it, if you can, this is huge feedback. It There's energy being used up with people doing boundaries with you. If you have a world where people are having boundaries with you, your energy is blocked, their energy is blocked, and you can clean that up. So it's really valuable feedback to ask them um, and ask yourself, um, what kind of clarity could you gain that frees you up or frees up those people from having to have boundaries with you and give them distinctions instead? So that would be negotiations. That would be negotiating. See, before, perhaps you haven't experimented so much with negotiating. Perhaps you had a world where boundaries were the only thing that you knew about. Now you can work in a world where negotiations and clarity happen. So if you do this, you know, I need, I need this, or I need, let's, let's make it an agreement so that you know, uh, if I don't give you the book back in two days, I, get, I add 10 euros to it, whatever, whatever the thing is, you can work out negotiations so that it's, a, it's alive and there doesn't need to be this boundary part of it. Okay, so this is a whole conversation about this difference between living your life in a world of boundaries and oh, dropping that away slowly and starting to come back to, uh, to a life where there's more energy flow with uh, exchanges and interchanges with distinctions. Does anybody have anything about that? I, I do. <laughs> where did you come from? <laughs> yes. From my shopping trip. So I was thinking about this distinction between distinction and boundaries and I remember having this call with my mom like pretty early on and she was telling something about my life that she didn't like or she was afraid like she was afraid about my life something in my life and and but and I said okay that is not your life it's my life and if you want to talk to me we're not going to talk about that part of my life like that is not a part that is up for discussion. And that was a boundary. And at the same time after that, she felt she relaxed because she knew I was taking care of myself. Like because I could take care of myself with her, somehow I think she felt that I could take care of my, myself in my life. And then that freed up a whole space for a more relaxed conversation. Like it wasn't a wall. The boundary didn't create a wall. It, it created this, I don't, I don't know, clarity for a relaxed space to happen. And I don't, I mean, I, whatever. So that is also my experience. 
Thank you. <clears throat> I think it's a huge domain for experimenting consciously in is to, like I said, check out where people have boundaries with you, where you have boundaries with other people. A lot of these are like a wall. It's just, no, I'm not going to do this, or I'm afraid of this, or, or it's this wall either from other people towards you or you towards other people. And then you go, okay, why, why do I have this boundary? Why does somebody else have this boundary with me? And find out what's really going on. And then once, once the clarity is there, new options are possible. New doorways can open up. Well, it's also the boundary is also a service for the other person. Like if I'm this boundaryless person walking around, I'm it's like people don't know how to interact with me. And so it's like making a boundary is not is not just for me, but it's also it's it's for them. It's it's for everyone. Can I add something? Yeah. I mean, what I when you were speaking, for me, the shift that has happened is from me having to make verbal boundaries of saying, no, we don't do that. Like that was phase one. And then the boundaries were so integrated in me that I didn't have to make them anymore. And then I could make distinction because, because people would not cross my boundaries because there was, I was so clear about them. You became the boundary. Yeah. I have a question. Which is, Mm, the tie, the, the uh, again, the distinction between boundary and, and distinction, where when, when, for example, say, this is what I'm available for, or to talk with you, like what you said, and Chloe, this is what I'm available for, you can do this, 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 and this is, this, I'm not available. And, and for me, this is both the clarity, both distinction and boundary. Uh, and so I, I gosh, they can also be together. I mean, my, my question is about that, that it was so clearly like the boundary blocks and the distinction doesn't block the energy. And uh, there's, there's, I, yeah, I, 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 my experience is that there is a transformation that happens when holding boundaries that at first is to protect and then it's to connect. It's to, I can no longer be actually in connection with you if I do this because I'm not in connection with myself. I'm not being, yeah, I, I can't. I'm overstepping my own boundary with, <coughs> with myself. And so when that, when I have that inner clarity so clearly, it's almost not a boundary. It's like, I'm, I, I won't do this. I, mm -hmm. I'm not. I'm not here for for doing this, and it's not no longer a wall. Does this make sense? What I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Jeff. Go ahead. <clears throat> it's it's almost what I heard from from Aunt Chloe was almost like taking the boundary from like out, outside and around to just to inside, mm -hmm. in a way that like I, I like I can't be. I, it's it's 
Well, first of all, there's like a distinction between a wall and a boundary. So I'm, I'm starting to see this, that a, that boundary is not like keeping somebody out. A boundary is just like letting people see you, but understand that there's a certain way that things will happen for, for me. And a wall is just like, I'm not, you know, you're, there's just nothing, there's not, nothing to see here or not, 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 nothing available here. And yeah, I keep getting this message of like a, a boundary of I'm saying yes to this, which is no to everything else is much more, that creates much more energy flow than trying to say no to things. It's like, whatever I say no to, I'm actually applying energy to, and I'm creating more, I'll create more of it. So it's just like, this is my path. And everything else is just not, it's just not there. Yeah, cool. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, this next section is called Making Boundaries with Children. And I think it's a lot, it's going to emphasize more exactly what, Anne Chloe, you're talking about. It says, when a mother and father build a family culture for their children to live in, the parents model for what family culture should look like comes from their own childhood family experiences, usually. That's usually where it starts. The process of inventing family culture is in general unconscious and automatic. Doesn't have to be, but it, it starts off that way, usually. Parents do not often consider a question, hmm, do you think we should have Hanukkah or Christmas or Ramadan or Chinese New Year or not? You know, we don't usually ask those kind of questions. Just kind of we get sucked into whatever the thing was that we did with, you know, as our, were we doing Ramadan? Were we doing Chinese New Year? You know, what about not having television or newspapers in our house? What about that? Well, if you had television and newspapers as a kid, they're probably going to be there. Should the kids be born at home and sleep in our bed with us for the first five or six years? Well, how do you how do you even ask that question if you if you never heard about that before? You know, in Brazil, there's this incredibly outrageous, insane uh, plague of cesarean births. Really, the culture in Brazil right now, I've heard, is that. When a mother gets pregnant, they go to the doctor and the doctor puts a date in his calendar of when he's going to do the cesarean surgery to take the baby out. And the night before the surgery, the, they all go out, have a great big dinner, and then go in and do the surgery. It's pain-free, they're unconscious, and they wake up and there's a baby. And this has become the cultural norm in Brazil. It's like 80% of the births are like that. And if you could imagine how that uh, distorts the natural, the initiatory process of birth, both for the mother and the child <coughs> and the father, I, I might add. <coughs> it's huge. It's a huge distortion of what we're designed to experience. So it's basically eliminating a major initiatory process out of our lives. So we're left even... I just more adolescent. Yeah, I mean, I want to add that I, I heard from um, Susanne, who works with midwives, is that the cesarean is that the baby gets pulled out of the mother's belly, often still in the 
like the water and the placenta and and then it pops and there's no transition to get into the gravity of earth and so the the kids are not grounded there's no process of grounding a child into into gaia like into the and like in addition to not have the initiation of like also through anger of um, wanting to come out yeah wanting to come out and like all these old decision i mean i i've held space for many birth process um about an old decision around that so thank you so what you're saying is that baby moves from this floating three-dimensional water environment into this cold dry hard thing with no being held in the mother's belly with no water around like a transition point right a transition yeah whoa mm -hmm. i mean these questions keep going it's like how many rooms do the children need you know does each child need their own room in their own bed i mean in, if you've traveled around the world anywhere through asia at all you will see the homes there are one room all, all throughout Asia, basically, any kind of a home is one room. The kitchen, the living room, the bedroom, you know, all through Asia, South, South Pacific, South America, out, out, be outside the cities, you know, you have this one room and, and that's where everything happens. So this whole idea of having, a what is, what should, which color should the child's bedroom be painted, you know, taking them separate from the mother and father and sticking them isolated in the nightmare room of, of their own childhood. <clears throat> it's so crazy. But if we don't have the idea that something else is possible, that's the point. It's like, can you ask these questions of yourself and decide, make a choice about this? Like the mother and father here are still talking Let's skip the big house with everybody in their own room fantasy and spend our time and money traveling more and being more together in nature, shall we? You know, this is a whole different perspective on life as a family, the whole family thing. I mean, there's, there's a, a couple from Poland who just had a new baby and they're going nuts in the big city with their isolated alone with this baby. There's no village. There's no child culture. There's no baby culture. There's no mother culture. They're just isolated. And they're going, what do we do? What do we do? And this whole thing is about the, the possibility came up that they would go to Tonga and live in the Tongan Island with the villagers. I think we were talking about that. And so, so there's so many other options available for uh, life as a human being, even in a family, is so many options possible. Although these are real options available for every parent to choose from, for the most part, we abandon our creative freedom to the machinations, the mechanicalness of mass media and predominant cultural precedents. We then suffer the broad consequences of passively choosing without recognizing our responsibility for having made a choice in the first place. I mean, that would be a great place for introspection is where have you made choices uh, that you didn't even know you had another choice about? Where, how, how have you covered over your responsibility for making a choice 
by pretending like there's no other choices possible. So that would be a great question to ask. Compared to other cultures in the world, our modern Western culture is completely bereft of ritual. In comparison to the family culture of an African tribal village, modern Western family culture is like a featureless desert. Because essentially, if you've, if you've like we've lived for a while in Bali and it's just, you know, three times a day minimum, usually often five times a day, there's rituals going on all around you from, from friends, neighbors, even at the restaurant, they're doing rituals right in front of you, trying to have your, your satay and rice and they're doing rituals with smoke and incense and flowers and all this, you know, and they're doing it seriously. It is in earnest. The stuff really happens. And it's like, whew, it's hard to get, you know, just goes by. We're, we're so unaware of what else is possible. There's all these worlds happening around us and we're isolated in our own modern culture, featureless desert world. Indeed, in our ritual free environments, we gain tremendous freedom for lateral thinking. That is for thinking our way off the page, but at what cost? Without a webwork of ritual to contextualize our perspectives, we lose our ability to make natural and necessary boundaries and distinctions for our children. For example, there's nothing to stop parents from teaching their children the ritual boundaries and distinctions for obtaining, preserving, and preparing food, rituals for differentiating between sexes, rituals for celebrating the changing seasons of the year, rituals around festivity days, and celebrations, rituals for courting partners, rituals for honoring the wisdom of elders and the dead, rituals for rel relating to spiritual teachers, sacred objects, sacred spaces, and sacred teachings, rituals for healing and transitioning through different stages of life. You know, these are all things that you could be sharing with your children. But Western civilization has shrugged them all away, thrown them all away. Without ritual, the depth of our family culture decreases drastically to the point where parents have almost nothing to teach their children, really. Forcing children to absorb cultural norms from their peers, the other children, rather than from their parents. To learn more about how to counteract the destructive consequences of peer bonding, you know, being connected with the other children as if that's reality, through attachment parenting, read Gordon Neufeld's book, Hold On to Your Kids. There's a guy named Gordon Neufeld who's created this stuff called attachment parenting. And it's like actually parents attaching with the kids so that the kids' culture frames out of the parents' culture rather than framing out of mass media, video games, you know, and other kids playing the video games. Like that's where kids get their culture these days. They're not attached to the parents, and so they don't get the context. Can you please say the name of the book again? Yeah, it's just called Hold On to Your Kids. I'm sure it's in German and other languages. Thank you. Gordon Neufeld, N-E-U-F-E-L-D is the, is the author's name. <clears throat> was somebody else going to say something right now? Yeah, I was going to say something is that I, when you say this, I started writing this article maybe a year ago 
and it was called have we been fooled again and and it was about how it's like this this um our family is actually not our family our family is our peers and how we are the generation z and the generation y and the and the baby boomers and the whatever and so and and that then force us to be at war with the other generations instead and and it's this thing about the transformational like the path of evolution it this i, I think this war between generation is actually built in modern culture and that the path of evolution would actually demand this collaboration between generation and and yes the following the new generation bringing a new wind or a new dynamism or new ideas or whatever but in collaboration with the other generations and and now i'm i'm getting okay it's coming from there it's like it's coming from our, our parents had nothing to teach us and so our teachers had nothing to teach us yeah 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 and and uh and so we have whatever it's like, and then we have no elders and that we have, there's no mentors. There's no, like this whole uh, collaboration that, that exists in some way in indigenous culture. But I think we have, well, I have no idea about how it would work in next culture because it'd be very different from this like indigenous culture where the knowledge is passed down, but the knowledge is fixed. Like the, 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 the traditions are fixed. Okay, how do you have, a culture like a whole village collaborating with each other where the traditions are not fixed and 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 what so what are the parts like that that the different whatever it wouldn't be even generation but i don't know the different age would have different pieces of the puzzle in that kind of collaboration of of evolution of the culture yeah thank you i'm going to jeff go ahead <laughs> What? I'm going to finish that article. Now I have I have the next thing. Great. Okay. Jeff, let me just say one thing, Dan, Chloe. It's like, you know, there's this whole concept of there's something to be known, you know, and then we go to school and it has this stuff to be known mm -hmm. and you go through the curriculum and then you know this stuff, you know, and then it's over. In, in comparison to the journey of exploring beyond the known, like exploring what is not net, what is not yet known, like that, and that's a good, total different orientation towards uh, learning stuff. Mm -hmm. Jeff, go ahead. Yeah, thank you. So you know, Krishnamurti's the, my favorite book was called Freedom from the Known, and it's, <laughs> and and also so I you know I I often speak up about us not having guides and elders and how. How much we've missed from that and almost every morning i've been hiking the river here in the property and i had this realization that actually the elders and guides have been there are there they've been there we just we're so disconnected from from nature and we don't get to explore or we I, we've not we've not prioritized that kind of exploration because if i sit there and i look around like all of the wisdom of the whole world is right there but i just i i haven't spent the time just you know committing to going there on a regular basis and looking and feeling and 
exploring. And it's like all right there. You know, I've had they I go there for two hours and I have like almost a whole year's worth of information like downloaded from just being in in it and it, it has nothing to do with yeah learning the from the books and knowing something it's just seeing this natural flow like you were talking about uh andrea not what flows naturally you know what what what, what the wind that blows the sail is the wind it's not something i can predict or control or even or ask for it's just the wind blows and then i i can work with the wind yeah yeah Thank you. In modern children regard boundaries and distinctions coming from parents as some kind of archaic neurosis, some kind of just the parents are neurotic. It isn't really a boundary or a distinction. It's just some blah, blah. It's like the, the Peanuts uh, comics with uh, Charlie Brown you know, whenever the adults speak, it's whoa, 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 whoa. You can't understand a word they say because it doesn't relate to the children's world. It's just this whole other noise in the background, neurotic noise. And parents have little chance of changing this without seriously reshaping their personal behavior habits. And a parent would have to completely change to be something other than that. If you begin by realizing that many attention-seeking maneuvers by children are actually last resort, unconscious survival attempts to get food, what is it that our children starve for? In our busy, busy Western culture where media, time, and money devour more than 100% of our adult attention, our children often starve for lack of parental love. Where our attention goes, our energy flows. When from time to time, we do not place 100% loving attention on our children, they starve for lack of authentic intimacy. So any food is better than no food to a child. Getting negative attention from parents, such as scolding, yelling, complaining, resentment about being manipulated by the children, fear of being made to look bad in public by the children, and, and, and even physical you know, punishment, you know, abuse, that negative attention and so on, it's at least some kind of recognition from the parents that they exist. I've seen children manipulate parents into giving them attention by getting hurt over and over again on purpose actually falling down on purpose or banging their head on a wall or starting a fight with an older sibling, knowing they are going to get thrashed, you know, beat up. And then they can come crying to mommy or daddy for a little bit of attention. I've seen children try to get attention by becoming sick, by adopting unprovoked neurotic or nerve wracking behaviors by playing weak or aggressive, or by asking incessant questions, by having accidents, by creating false problems, or by breaking the law even. The same mechanism can manifest in many other ways, including bringing home, 
straight A's, you know, the highest grades, or straight F's, the lowest grades from school. All this is just to get some negative attention, which is better than no attention. Children do not want boundaries, but children need boundaries. When parents have no experience with their own feelings and emotions, they cannot tolerate their children screaming with rage in response to finding a boundary. At the sound of screaming, many parents relax all boundaries, thinking that they're doing their children a favor. They think that withholding boundaries is how a parent must sacrifice their life for the sake of the children. This is utter and horrifying nonsense and frighteningly normal in our modern culture. <clears throat> uh, parents are also really afraid of making boundaries and the kids scream because the other people around will, will report them to the authorities that they're abusing their children. And then the authorities have a report, you know, and it's just so bizarre instead of just letting them and get used to the new boundary. If there is a problem between you and a child, it has nothing to do with the child. I'll just say that again. If there's a problem between you and a child, it has nothing to do with the child. It has to do with you not providing boundaries and clarity for the child. For a big person to solve their problem with a little person by being violent with a little person, this is an act of insanity. It's really whatever, physical abuse, spanking, whatever, this kind of stuff is really off the charts. Children desperately need boundaries for developing their physical, mental, emotional, and energetic and archetypal bodies. If children do not experience durable, persistent boundaries in their home environment, then children flail around frantically in a desperate state of survival terror where they must inappropriately try to hold space for themselves. I have seen small children less than two years old seeking solid boundaries to wrestle with in their own environment and not getting them because the parents wanted to be quote unquote good parents. The parents wanted the children to experience having a quote unquote good childhood. So they avoided providing the children with a framework of boundaries. Without clear solid boundaries around them, the children felt abandoned, which is the opposite of what the parents thought they were creating for their children. You get that? No boundaries, you're abandoned. And probably a lot of us had this. Not making boundaries starts off harmlessly enough at the breakfast table with the, with the child choosing Cheerios breakfast cereal and then screaming for cornflakes when they see the parent choosing cornflakes. If the parent is manipulated even in the slightest way by the screaming, to replace the child's Cheerios with cornflakes, even to think about exchanging the cereals, even to give defensive reasons as to why they are not exchanging the cereals, then the parent's boundary fails the screaming test. When screaming can destroy a boundary, there is no boundary. 
When there is no boundary, the child loses respect for reality and goes berserk. The berserkness and disrespect for reality stays with the child for their entire lives and indeed could be a contributing factor to the drastically increasing number of child suicides, drug addictions, school massacres, and other horrific occurrences. Living with children in a self-made boundaryless environment is an all too common modern nightmare. It does not have to be this way. Anything about that? It's, it's funny, you know, this, this is a book about relationship, but so much of our ability to relate came from our own childhoods. <clears throat> and then we pass this on unconsciously to our own kids who then grow up and have these same handicaps in their adult lives. And so without inspecting this stuff, really kind of radically inspecting it and, and going, hey, you know, what else is possible? Is this crazy or what? You know, without doing this, we're just stuck in a, we're just stuck in this Autobahn highway that just keeps going the way that modern culture is going. It's just crazy. Joy, go ahead. Um, I was very asleep when I raised my children and I think I broke every rule, broke every boundary. <laughs> And um, I see the results in my adult children now, and I find it very sad, but at this point in the game, now I'm at a loss. These are grown adults and the damage is done. What do I do now? And why, you know, we talk about how this all happened and what to do if you're in a position to establish these boundaries now, but what if it's, down the road, you've already made the mistakes, you've woken up and you've realized the error of your ways and now what? There's, there's such a value in continuing your evolutionary path. And I'm not saying that your children will pay attention to your work on yourself because quite likely they won't. I mean, you know, I have two daughters, they're married. I have five grandchildren. They're, they're, they're successful. They're happy. They're, you know, I, I don't think either one of them have read any books that I've written anyway. They've never come to any trainings, workshops, talks, you know, anything like that. So they, they have no idea about my life really. And and it's, and it's, I don't expect them to, but what I'm saying is even though they were home birthed, homeschooled, you know, really given, we took them out of America when they're eight and 11 years old, we brought them to Europe, we gave them a whole new future out of outside the, the, the American sleep zombieism, you know, this, all these ideal circumstances, and we took them traveling different places, all this stuff it did not necessarily guarantee that they're going to go personally on an evolutionary path. So, I mean, their children come out the way they come out and do what they do, but we don't have to be, I mean, 
Joy, like you were where you were when you did what you did, just like all of us. Okay, but in, in you're clearly continuing your 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 process. You didn't stop. You haven't retired. You didn't go to some some rigid environment where you you can stay asleep your whole life, retire and die. You know, you're on some kind of an evolutionary path. That thing will have ramifications. The field that you make through your own evolutionary steps will percolate into the environment. And even if your kids don't get it, you know, other people will. And having remorse about what could have happened and did not is not a bad thing. Even though it's painful, it, it, conscious remorse is a transformational process. And so if, the, if you need, you know, if it comes up for you, you know, to actually go in there and go and do some remorse work, just do it. And, and it is not about beating yourself up because nobody didn't know back then, none of us. You can't know what you don't know. You can't be who you are not. Yeah, and you continue on the path. And I, I have, I do remorse. I have remorse about, you know, an abortion that I had, you know, way back when I was 22 years old or something. I still have remorse about it. I don't beat myself up about it, but I have this, this kind of conscious pain about it. I have remorse about other, you know, other things, you know, like, I don't know, I'm not thinking of anything right now, but I mean, fortunately for me, for example, I, I did not go to war. I was not uh, subjected to a war training by the US. You know, I wasn't uh, brought into Vietnam or, you know, my, my number at my birthday was too high for them to select me out and pull me into the army by law. You know, and I haven't, I haven't been in any war zones. I mean, um, so, but we do, each of us has this path, this past, we have a past and there's things that have happened that could have happened differently if we were a different person back then. And so there, I think that, that's like, I'm just repeating myself. There's, there, if you would like to do a remorse process, you can actually just put your hand up. Okay, could somebody, could somebody be in this process with me? Takes a half hour, 45 minutes, whatever you go, you just feel it. And it, it will, as is something, it will shift around the energetics in your body about all that and be very healing. So if you want to do that, just go ahead. You know, you don't even have to know what you will figure out. You don't even have to know what will come of it. But if you want to ask for that, just go ahead. Okay. I'd like to ask for help with going through this remorse process regarding this. Will anyone hold space for me? I see Anne Elizabeth. Mm -hmm. Right. So, Jeremy. I... So, Anne Elizabeth and Jeremy, Thank super. You. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Could you say something about the distinction between grief and remorse? Yeah. Grief is pure sadness. Re, uh, remorse has a kind of consciousness in it. 
It's, it's not regret. Remorse is, is like, it has a wish for healing, a wish, and you can't force it. Like in the situation with Joy and her adult children, she, she cannot force uh, the children to behave a certain way, ask certain questions, you know, change their behavior or, or anything like that. She can't, but when they come together for Christmas or something, next time, Joy will have a different relationship connection to them because she has gone through this consciousness building remorse process that it will bring a different awareness into her and the way she relates to her children and their children like that. It will change her. And that, that, will, that will allow a different thing to show up in her children. And in like, it will, so it's, the, do you get the difference? Sad, grief is just sadness. Remorse has a, this transformational element, this whole consciousness building element. Okay. So, yeah, so, so Anna Elizabeth. It, I have remorse. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, remorse is for things that, that I have been an actor into and grief is more for things that I have happened to me and, and changed because of that and needed healing for. Yeah. Is, that's, that's how it's coming across to me. Yeah, totally works. So in this space that you and Jeremy hold for joy, you just open up this, you just hold space and go, it's really about what happened and what what you feel about it now? You Quentin, know, what, what, you, what did you miss? Clinton, can you say it again? Like because that. You cut out. Can you say it again? Those questions because you were cut out. Yes, you ask. You, you basically go, okay, what happened? It's really what happened, and then the things will come up about what happened. But then is this question of, well, what what really touches you about that? What could have been different? What do you wish you could have created or, or what else could have been accomplished? It's, and there's this pain, this, this con pain of consciousness of, that Joy is a different woman than she was back then, a different human being. She has more awareness about things that she did not even have any sensitivity before about. And we're all like that. And, but that's the thing is to, is to integrate what really actually happened and that she, her consciousness expanded, that she has evolved, that she's become more aware now than before. And this remorse is this, is it overall high level integration process of that? It's so valuable. So that's why this remorse thing is valuable. Okay, Jeremy, so you guys ask her those questions and hold that space. And then just let it come, whatever comes, and just keep hearing it. You be that listening space. Okay? Great. I so want to add. Sorry? Sorry, I thought you had uh, finished talking. Go ahead. Uh, and what, um, uh, what is the difference between guilt and remorse? Because when... I thought that when when you feel guilt, you give you give um, you give the power to the survival um, strategies. 
But when you have remorse, is uh, something different? Can you give a distinction between guilt and remorse? Yeah, guilt is this mixed emotion okay. that you do to yourself. You mix anger because you, you did something and somebody says it's wrong or bad and they caught you. So you have your anger about being caught and you're afraid because the guilt in the guilt is this fear that they could catch you again. Or, you know, you might still want to do this, but they don't want you to do it. And there's this, there's this fear of this, of this. And, the, and then you have sadness about that the thing that you did is not okay. That there's this whole thing that happened because you did this thing that was supposedly not okay, whatever. And you mix those three emotions together, the anger, the sadness, and the fear, and it comes out like it's guilt. And mm -hmm. so this whole thing goes, uh, it's a, just a, a mixed emotion. Whereas um, the remorse is actually a consciousness expanding process. It's a, yeah, it isn't mixed emotions when you do it consciously like that. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I wanna share one thing to that remorse thing that yesterday I held space for, uh, for a workshop for four feelings, five body process workshop that I, that I just discovered. And afterwards, I, I, I felt this remorse of um, having missed the opportunity for clarity and, 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 and transformation. And to, I, I needed time to really sit with this remorse. And it really, I really felt like that feeling that pain of having missed this transformation clarity that could have been in this space could have been provided changes my being afterwards and makes me yeah changes my shape yeah you're more sensitive to that kind of thing then from then on forever yes you know and sometimes in a remorse process you you may end up with gosh i would i would like to communicate with somebody that i i noticed this now that i i didn't before and i'm sorry you know, I'm, I wish I could have and I, I could not have. But again, it's a very fine line between that and build and beating yourself up, like the guilty thing that Dimitri was talking about. So just be careful, you know, sure, there could be some change. Be, you know, you might want to apologize or you might want to write a letter or something like that. But th those things don't, cannot change the past. You know, they cannot change what did not happen. And, and, and so just don't use it to beat yourself up. That's not going to help anything. But the awareness, Kian said, the, the sensitivity, the awareness of, of what is possible in the moment, it gets more accurate, more precise, more sensitive, deeper. And, and that lasts with you for the rest of your life as you, as you allow the remorse to, to be heard. Yeah. Yeah, thank you, Joy. Um, if I may, I would like to share about, just to get back to um, how we're parenting and how we're affecting kids. And um, 
first of all, I want to say that there's a lot of joy that I feel right now just to get that knowledge and get that clarity about um, really having like a real conversation about, you know, do we want to have festivals? Do we want to have rooms? You know, such big things that really can affect them that I never really thought about. So I have mm-hmm. a lot of joy for knowing that knowledge um, and also realizing the responsibility that's being put on me, not just as a parent, but just as like a person in their life that they are fully like putting everything, you know, I don't just want to be my son's mother. I want to be his best friend. I want to be his confidant. I want to be, you know, everything for him. Is that, is that not the right attitude to have? I mean, that's an amazing question. You know, it could, we only have a few minutes right now, but I would suggest perhaps not. I would suggest that what the, a child needs is a parent and the confidant thing and their best friend thing, those will come from other children, their, their own culture. It will come from their own culture. And I've known too many men, for example, but also women who are have to cut through, go through these huge healing processes. It takes years to untangle themselves from too much engagement from the parents, like too much involvement from the parents. Then they have to extricate themselves from that over years And sometimes they do it with really harsh things, or sometimes they don't really do it. They don't actually pull, they don't actually stand on their own feet. Mm. Because to have your mother as your confidant, there's this, there's this uh, energetic enmeshment that happens that is, it doesn't, it's not easily taken apart. It's, it lasts a long time and it doesn't allow for a person to stand on their own feet so easily. It's yeah. really difficult to undo that. Yeah. It, you know, and is that a need from the son or is it a need from the mother? You know, if you need somebody to be a confidant for, maybe you, you should be doing possibility coaching for people or doing some kind of consulting or, you know what I mean? Like as a professional, like really providing that service. If you have a longing for that, it could be coming from your archetypal lineage or something. Could be a big service to provide. And don't try to get yourself fulfilled with your child. You know, they're pretty much in a survival mode. They will bend. They will do whatever it takes for you to love them so they can survive. So if you make it that, okay, you, you have to be my a confidant. You have to be a best friend of mine. You have to be, you know, mm-hmm. concerned about my problems. Then they will do it in order to survive. But it's very expensive for them. It's very, it's not easy. It's very difficult to get out of that. And you can, every single one of those things you said is a useful talent to use professionally, even to use as an adult woman to get in different relationships with other adults. Because it's so not fair with a child. The child is so, uh, it's not a fair contest. They cannot defend themselves, they cannot say, no, mommy. They cannot, no mommy. They cannot say that because then they die. Then, then they, they don't survive. They have to say, yes, mommy. And then, and then they have this burden that they have to carry like that. 
So I'm really glad you put that on the table. I'm not the only one who has an idea about that, I'm sure. Uh, and we only have a couple minutes left. Did you want to say anything else about that, Donnie, right now? No, I'm just so glad that you brought it up because it's just really shifting my whole, like, vision. Donnie, don't be afraid if you feel something about this. You might feel scared or sad or even angry about it. So don't you? it would be probably useful to uh, ask for an emotional healing process as you go through the shift. These are big shifts. So if yeah. you want to do that right now, just go ahead and say, could somebody be with me in this emotional healing process? Sure. I'm very lucky that my son is only one. So I'm glad that we caught it early. But yes, I would like an emotional healing process about being a mother. Yes. I see Ava. I see Ava. Great. Good. Thank you. That, that's perfect. Thank you, Ava. Oh, and Jeff. Thank you. Yeah. Was it Jeff too, you said? Yes. He was okay. Um, Will you yeah. reach out on Telegram directly? Yeah, I'm actually not in the study group, but <clears throat> I'll get on it and reach out to you guys. Great. Thank you. Yeah. And Jeff, this thing about being able to say no, mommy, it's like, it, it's, there's a, you know, children between the ages of two and four learn to start saying no. And it's really rough. They have to, they just, the power of no is so big for them. It just explodes in, in your family. It's totally appropriate. But there's this difference between needing to survive with, with um, this connection to a mom and a family and the food and shelter and money and like that. And when you say no, mommy, you're risking all that stuff. And so the subtle energetics of being, uh, a, a, you know, a com companion, a confidant, a best friend, you know, like all of that, these are subtle energetics. And uh, saying no to that means saying no to love, basically. You're saying no to love. And it's so, it's such a, a child cannot make that distinction. Most adults cannot make that distinction. So it's, I, um, I don't think there's really a way to do that about teaching a child to say no mommy effectively. It's not the child's responsibility. It's the adult's responsibility to not do that with the kids. Yeah. Okay. Um, Jeremy, looks like you have something, but we're at the time limit. Do you want to just say it as we go out? What is it? Yeah, just briefly, and maybe I need to digest it, so I'll share it next time. It's just that the topics that we talked about, boundaries and boundaries with children, I'm realizing are just the things where I'm losing most of my energy in my life. My life is amazing in many ways. But the topics with my kid and his mom that I have to put big walls against uh, to, to function uh, are, are just taking my life energy away. I'm not fully alive because of this topic, and so it's um, a big one, and um, yeah. Thank you. Thanks for saying that. Did you want to ask her emotional healing process or just to just to take a layer down in that? Not right now, just because this week okay. I cannot, but next week, I think. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Okay, everybody. Thank you again for being here. Thanks for participating and showing up. Have a good week. Keep doing experiments. See you next time. Thank Bye -bye. you.
Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye, guys. Bye.